Welcome to this uh, session with Grace Point Church. We are coming today to the final message from the letter to the church at Colossians from the Apostle Paul. And so we are continuing on and finishing up this study in the book of Colossians. It's been a rich study for me personally, and I hope it has been for you if you've been with us during this time. Uh, one of uh, my minor hobbies, I have a lot of minor hobbies, is to collect epitaphs. An epitaph is that short, pithy saying on a tombstone in a cemetery. And of course, uh, we don't do too much of that anymore. So most of them are from another age, another time. But it's kind of a summary of a person's life, uh, as maybe others see it, or perhaps they saw it themselves and wanted it to put on their tombstone. Uh, there was a man here in our church who passed away some 15 years ago. And uh, as I walked the cemetery near our building, uh, sometimes I'll stop and read his epitaph, and uh, he, it's something like this. He says, live for Jesus, have few regrets. And uh, that certainly marked his life as I knew him and had the privilege of knowing him and look forward to seeing him again in heaven. But those epitaphs, uh, they can be uh, quite humorous, actually. Let me read you a few. Uh, here's one uh, from a cemetery back east in the northeast. It says, she lived with her husband for 50 years and died in the confident hope of a better life. Another one, talked to death by his friends, is what was on his tombstone. Uh, this one about Arabella Young is well known, and perhaps you've heard it before. Her epitaph reads, Stranger rejoice, this tomb holds Arabella Young, who on the May 5th, 1837, began to hold her tongue. Ouch. <laughs> and then probably my all-time favorite, perhaps I might copy this one, the hypochondriac's tombstone, quote, I told you I was sick. <clears throat> and then there's another one, <clears throat> excuse me, on a dentist's uh, tombstone. The man spent his life as, in dentistry. It says this, stranger, tread this ground with gravity. Dennis Brown is filling his last cavity. A little bit of black humor there, I would say. Uh, let's see. Uh, on, the tw on the 22nd of June, Jonathan Fiddle went out of tune. Very creative on some of those. Uh, here's one that's uh, kind of uh, sad and poignant in a way. It says this, Wilbur Gutsman and his wife, their warfare is accomplished. We pray that's not uh, reflective of any of our marriages for sure. And then a final one, Eliza Ann has gone to rest on Abraham's breast. Peace at last for Eliza, Lan uh, Eliza Ann, but not for Father Abraham. She must have been quite a character. Uh, but epitaphs are fitting, and actually uh, the one I love the most is really Jesus's epitaph. It's not written on a tombstone anywhere, but it's written in the eternal word of God. Luke 24, verse 5 through 6 say, says this, The angelic beings to Mary and the other woman at the tomb said this, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. And of course, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we have that firm hope, that confident hope, that blessed hope of the resurrection because Jesus Christ went before us. So we are learning from those who've walked on ahead of us. This is a second part of this uh, final two-message series uh, on Colossians chapter 4, 
verses <clears throat> 7 through 18. And in the last session, we looked at the first eight individuals who were named, and in a sense, you could say uh, these are somewhat of their epitaphs. The Apostle Paul shared his ministry with many people. As I said last time, there are probably in the, the, the account in Acts, the book of Acts, as well as the epistles, over a hundred individuals named and unnamed that are associated with the ministry of the Apostle Paul. In fact, in Romans chapter 16, there's 26 people listed there. And the Apostle Paul, in his final words to the church at Colossae, are uh, just detailing at least 10 individuals here uh, about their ministry with him and uh, in partnership with the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the wonder of it all is, you know, these are the early day saints, if you will. And we have a great record and a trustworthy account of God's word here. In last session, we looked at verses eight through, or excuse me, seven through 14, and he lists those eight individuals, and we saw three things, uh, three characteristics of being a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's faithfulness, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, available, availability, and prayerfulness. Uh, the faithful people, of course, are Tychicus in verses seven and eight, Onesimus, in verse 9, he was the runaway slave, Onesimus, and the book of Philemon is Paul's appeal to the slave owner, Philemon, to receive Onesimus back. And then available people, is Aristarchus, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, or also known as Justice, these three were identified as either Jewish converts to Judaism and then became Messianic believers in the Messiah Jesus, or they perhaps were even born uh, as uh, in, in a Jewish uh, uh, home. And of course, uh, we saw all three of those. And interestingly, Mark was the one who left Paul and Barnabas in the first missionary journey, abandoned them. And uh, there was a, a split between Barnabas and, and Paul over the second missionary journey about taking Mark. But by this time, we see that Mark was fully accepted back into fellowship and relationship with the apostle Paul. And it says that these three, uh, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, were of great comfort to the Apostle Paul and encouragement. And of course, we think of Barnabas's uh, nickname is Son of Encouragement. And of course, his, his nephew or his cousin Mark was uh, uh, one who encouraged the Apostle Paul. And then thirdly, we saw a prayerful people, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, uh, in verses 12 through 14. And uh, Epaphras was agonizing in prayer. He was working hard. He was in pain, actually, for the people of the Lycus River Valley there in Colossae and, and Laodicea and Hierapolis. And uh, so we see this, this picture of that. But yet we also see in this that Demas, who the Apostle Paul commends here, uh, later on, towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life, left him in 2 Timothy 4.10. It tells, Paul tells us that Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And so there is this sad aspect uh, to these epitaphs, if you will, these words the Apostle Paul has for them. But primarily, uh, and for the most part, they were faithful, available, and prayerful. And we looked at that at last session. And now we move to the concluding uh, paragraphs of this uh, little book, of Colossians. And we're going to see the substance of the local church. <clears throat> we're going to see the significance of enduring in the faith and the magnitude of grace as the Apostle Paul wraps this up. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you 
uh, for your grace and your mercy and the fact that you've given us a authentic and trustworthy copy of your word in our own heart language. We praise you for that. Not everyone has that great privilege. And we thank you for the Apostle Paul and for all of these people that are listed in this uh, final section of this letter. And we thank you, Lord, for their going on ahead of us and that we can learn from them. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us today and guide us. And we thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen and amen. Well, in verses 15 and 16, we see the substance of the local church. Look with me at verse 15 and 16, if you will, in your copy of God's word. He goes on to give a command here, the word greet, the first word of the sentence greet is in a command form. Greet the brethren that are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the house that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and you for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And so we see the substance of the local church and the substance of the local church, of course, is Holy Spirit empowered people and uh, God's people who are saved, who have believed in Jesus Christ for everlasting life. And these local church churches were organized for the worship, for the instruction and for the education as well as the expression of their faith. And we see that uh, in Acts chapter two at the beginning of the New Testament church era. And so Paul asked that greetings be given to uh, the brothers and sisters at the church at Laodicea and uh, to Nympha who uh, had a house in their home, in, her, in his or her home. Uh, the form of that name, Nympha, is either uh, in early manuscripts, it was sometimes feminine and sometimes masculine. And uh, the early scribes possibly uh, changed the, uh, uh, the gender of that word to, fem or to masculine, uh, but we don't know for sure. But anyway, uh, there was a house meeting in this person's, or a church meeting in this person's house. In the early centuries, at least the, early, the first three centuries of the church, uh, churches didn't have buildings. They met in homes and public places and public spaces. And again, it's a reminder that even though we call these buildings a church, they are not a church. It's where the church meets. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and belong to a local church, you are the church. You are part of a local church as well as the universal church And the New Testament teaches both. And so uh, there was the substance of the local church where people who fellowship together and fellowship is not just uh, talking about the game yesterday or whatever, but fellowshipping is talking about and having a commonality in the Lord Jesus Christ and being about him and about his work. And so this house, these house churches were meeting then. And uh, in Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, Philemon 2, we see this is the case in the early church. Today, we are blessed with uh, our own property and our own buildings. Uh, for, for the most part, although there are some churches who still meet in homes and in other places, especially in the two-thirds world, especially where they are being persecuted and oppressed uh, by uh, local governments. And so fellowshipping men and women, the substance of the local church here. Also, they were scripture people in verse 15. Not only were they fellowshipping people, they were scripture people. Paul urged them to exchange the letters uh, once they had read Colossians, they wanted, were supposed to send it on to Laodicea and they were going to read the letter. And there was a letter coming from Laodicea that they should read. Uh, and we don't know. Uh, scholars have argued about this Laodicean letter. 
Uh, some believe it was the letter to the church at Ephesus that was circular. All these letters were circular except for like Philemon, which went to an individual or Timothy to an individual, and yet they were circulated around the various churches. Remember the Apostle Paul, there was one manuscript of Colossians to begin with and that he dictated to a secretary, signed it, and then they sent it back to Colossae. And so there was this one manuscript which they shared then and they recopied and recopied and uh, did it accurately. And so they were scripture people also. Uh, I've read about uh, where countries where people are under great persecution and are, it's illegal to own a Bible where they will just share pages out of a Bible. This happened in the Soviet Union under the communist oppression, especially in the last century. And so there was an incredible desire among people to read and memorize God's word. And we are so blessed. Uh, I'm ashamed to tell you how many copies of the Bible I have in my study over there. And then I have a whole bunch more on my Bible software on my computer. Uh, I, I just have Bible after Bible, different versions, different translations, Greek and Hebrew Bibles, and on and on it goes. And yet there are places in the world even today where people do not have the opportunity to have their own copy of God's word like we are privileged with. And we need to be praying for those who are involved in Bible translation into the heart language of peoples around the world who have yet to have the New Testament or even one book of the New Testament in their own heart language. And so there are many uh, around the world who yet to have or are yet to have that. And so can you imagine uh, every Christian in our community here 10,000 people or so, and all the Christians that live in this community, if we had to share one copy of scripture, maybe you would have a page for four hours and then you'd have to give it to somebody else and somebody else would have a page for a few hours and you would read it, try to memorize it, you would listen very carefully when it was read. And uh, it was the church's uh, turn to, uh, each person's turn to read a copy of, of God's word. Well, that was the, the situation in the first century. You know, this was before the printing press, the, the laboriously hand-copied uh, this manuscript into other manuscripts. There was only one original, and it was delivered by Tychicus and Onesimus, as we saw last session. And Paul, Paul expressed the wish that it be read and allowed to the church. This was the primary way of believers in Christ hearing the word of God and being communicated to them. But we sit and we have the great privilege and by God's grace and by many who went before us of having copies of God's word. And, uh, and we can read it, we can read it together. You can follow along in your copy of God's word, whether it's in a, a book form or on your uh, electronic device. So these are people who were scripture people. That's the substance of the local church. Holy inspired people, Holy Spirit inspired people who are reading God's word, being taught by the spirit and by gifted people and to, to live out the faith of Jesus Christ. And so the substance of the local church. And then we have the significance of endurance in verse 17. Stands out as a call to the individual Christian life. The significance of endurance. Now remember, the church at Colossae was under attack from false teaching. That's the Apostle Paul is answering that false teaching. And he is reminding these believers in Christ that Jesus is the preeminent one. He is supreme over all things. And the false teachers were denying that and placing Jesus in a subsidiary position in their uh, agenda. 
And so they were giving a false gospel. And so we have to endure. We are surrounded by false gospels in our culture, in our society, and around the world. And so what do people, the best question to ask is what do people do with Jesus Christ? What do they do? Is he supreme? Is he preeminent? Is he the God-man? Is he the second person of the Trinity? Uh, did he provide us with salvation by grace through faith? So they are vigilant people. The significance of endurance is vigilance. We need to be aware. Look at verse 17. We see another person listed here. Say to Archippus, Archippus, he's the, the final, I think the final person, yes, the 10th person listed in this list. And to say to him, in other words, there's the command, you tell Archippus, and then here's another command, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Now, probably Archippus is the son of Philemon, if you look at Philemon chapter, or verse 2, and was ministering at Colossae, probably in place of Epaphras. Remember, Epaphras probably planted that church, and he had traveled to Rome some 1,000 miles to the west, so he was absent uh, from the church at Colossae, and probably Archippus was the one who was in charge there, or basically the teaching elder, if you will. And so Paul exhorted the readers and those listening to tell Archippus to see to it. And that word see to it means to look out for, to be aware of the dangers that are around you, and that he complete the work of the ministry that God had given to him. Uh, whatever his problem, he was not fulfilling or completing his work. This is another example of Paul's concern that the Colossians need to be fulfilled and complete, mature in Christ, knowing God's will for his glory and for the good of his people. So vigilance. And uh, there was a saying when I was uh, in graduate school in seminary is uh, I remember one chapel speaker said, uh, don't quit too soon and it's too soon to quit. And he was just encouraging us to be vigilant, to, to carry out the ministry that God has laid on us and, uh, and the continuing. And so whether you are in formal, what we would call vocational ministry or uh, some type of parachurch ministry, you still have a ministry. You still, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He is leading, guiding you. He has a will for your life, which we saw in chapter three of this letter. And so uh, be vigilant, look out for, be aware of the dangers, complete the work. In other words, finish well, finish well in this life. Also the significance of endurance is that they were ministering people. They were concerned about ministry and they talk about the ministry they've received here that Archippus has received. And so they were involved in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and encouraging one another. Finish well is the word in there. Uh, you may not remember the Winter uh, Olympic Games in 1998. They were held in Nagano, Japan. And uh, the Norwegian-born, <coughs> excuse me, uh, cross-country skier is Bjorn Dali. Bjorn Dali. He proved once again he was the world champion, and he won the 10,000-kilometer cross-country skiing event, giving him his sixth lifetime gold medal. Uh, when he crossed the finish line, though, Dali did not rush away to a victory celebration. He waited for another competitor to come. The other competitor that he was waiting for was a struggling, he was struggling last in the 92-person field. He was Philip Boyt of Kenya. You may remember Philip's name, Philip Boyt of Kenya in cross-country skiing, if you can imagine. Philip had first laid his eyes on snow only two years before the Olympics. He was trained by a Finnish coach. He had accumulated enough points to 
to, in competition to be invited to represent his country in the Winter Games uh, first. Uh, for his, it was a first for any African nation. And Philip lagged behind the victor by nearly a half an hour. And Bjorn waited patiently at the finish line and finally Philip struggled into view. There were few remaining spectators and they began to cheer him on and Philip crossed the line. Bjorn, the champion, took him by the shoulders and hugged him tight. The tight squeeze conveyed his respect and admiration for one who was determined to finish the race. <clears throat> you know what? Christ is the victor. Jesus Christ has gone before us. He completed the course long ago and he awaits for us at the finish line to, to welcome those who finish with him. And he's there waiting for us. Paul now takes up his pen, his final verse of this letter, and he adds a concluding remark. Remember, the Apostle Paul had a, they called an amuasis or a secretary who he would dictate the letter to, and this man or woman, we're not sure, would write it out, and then at the end, the Apostle Paul would take up the pen, and he would write a concluding remark and sign it, which was uh, a couple of reasons, so that the people who received this letter were sure, was sure it was from the Apostle Paul, and not a fake letter, not one that was not truly from the Apostle Paul. And so he talks about valiant people. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And we think of valiant people in this. This was Paul's custom and sign of authenticity as he signed the greeting with his own hand. He then asked that his readers remember, remember his imprisonment. And he said that there in verse 18. Remember my imprisonment. And remember my imprisonment. You know, we think we're living in very adverse times, and surely they are difficult. And yet uh, the Apostle Paul is imprisoned and in very adverse times. He was rejected uh, by many everywhere he went and he had many enemies because he preached the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. And see, so he chose and closed with this benediction of God's grace to them. Look at the very last sentence. Grace be with you. He began with grace and peace in chapter 1, verse 1, and he ends with grace. Unmerited favor, God's grace. We do not earn it. We are given it to it. He said, remember my chains, remember my imprisonment. That was written over 2,000 years ago to people who have long since gone. And yet Paul himself has been in glory all these centuries, and yet these words still have meaning for us. Remember my chains. These were grace-filled people. We have lessons about discipleship in these final words, the local church, about enduring and about God's grace in our lives. Well, now that we've completed our study of this letter to the church at Colossians, at Colossae, uh, why not read these four chapters again? It's a very short letter. You can read through it again before moving on to something else. If you didn't mark some key passages in your copy of God's Word in the earlier reading, do it again. Go through and mark the things that really jump out at you, and especially the verses that God has been using in your life if you've been with us in this study. Try reading Colossians as if your Bible were the only one available and you had to give it back in just a few hours. Imagine that. So we have lessons and we continue to learn and God is so faithful and gracious and generous. And let me leave you with these words, grace 
be with you. God's blessing.